Welcome to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I am the Reverend Mary Vano, and today we're going to get to talk with my good friend, the Reverend Morgan Allen. Morgan is the rector of Trinity Episcopal Church in Boston, Massachusetts. He's originally from Louisiana, and 20 years ago, Morgan and I were seminary students together in Austin. We've been good friends ever since. Morgan, thanks for taking this time with me today. Thank you for having me, Mary. I've been looking forward to the conversation. So today, Morgan and I want to talk about having fun, which weirdly feels like a hard conversation to have in 2020. Are we allowed to have fun when so many people are dying? Is it okay to be distracted from the hard things that we're facing in this world? As we are having this conversation, there are devastating wildfires in California. There are hurricanes causing destruction along the Gulf Coast, and Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has just died. How can fun possibly have a place in the midst of such terrible times? It's difficult, Mary, to have fun when there's so much heaviness in the air. The feelings of loss that I have about the avocations that I've enjoyed all my life seem so meager against the backdrop of so much suffering. It can be difficult to have fun in these days, Mary, when there's so much heaviness in the air. My own feelings of loss about the avocations that I enjoyed before March 11th, some of them that I've enjoyed my entire life, those senses of loss feel meager when set in relief against all the suffering in the world. Even so, I'm realizing that without those moments in my day of holy distraction, that the emotional consequence for me is not insignificant. The little things, you know that I like music and living in a town with a good music store is important. I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana. In Shreveport, there was a very small independent music store on Kings Highway that closed when I was in maybe seventh or eighth grade. It's amazing that it lasted that long being a competition with Hastings and Sandwood <laughs> and eventually Sound Warehouse outside of the mall. But I loved to go to that record store. It was a real record store. The people who worked there, the staff, were committed to music in a different way. And the novelty of that commitment felt in sync with how important music was to me in those years and in many ways still is. I lived in Austin for 10 years before moving to Boston about 16 months ago. And in Austin, uh, there were two great record stores, Waterloo Records, which is still open and chugging through the pandemic as best they can. And another store, that we, which dealt more exclusively in used records called El Chipo, Chipo Records, which is in the old Whole Foods, just a few doors down, in fact, from Waterloo mm-hmm. Uh, and at Chipo, they kept the UCDs in the big plastic chunky cases that made it more difficult to steal and prevented customers and potential thieves from opening up the cases and taking just the discs. I'm a person who has no interest in owning a CD if I only have the disc. I mean, come on. It's only <laughs> a quarter of the fun. The liner notes and looking at the pictures and seeing uh-huh. uh, who played on the album and who did they thank. 
I can see you right now, Morgan, and I'm looking at the shelves of CDs behind you. I know you like the cases and the jacket notes, all that. <laughs> I like it. I like the cases. And so there was a particular sound, just kind of click, 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 as I would thumb through the CDs at Cheapo. And my favorite bin, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a value shopper. Buying used always been my way. But beyond that, the two bins that I enjoyed most of Cheapo, one was the new arrivals. And in part, it was the kind of thrill of the hunt that these weren't yet in alphabetical order. They were just kind of pile uh, that I could thumb through. Click, 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 click. The other was their kind of bargain basement, the stuff they were pushing out the door. And I'm not afraid of the bargain basement. Uh, typically, in the bargain basement, one can find the album after the big record. Rather than White Lines Pride, you get you know, <laughs> White Lines release in like 1999, which no one else has bought, shockingly. <laughs> and yet I'll get sucked in. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, what are White Lines up to in 1999? And the answer is usually, nothing too good, actually. <laughs> but I give them a shot. I'm a sucker for it. You know, the click, click, click. Even when at Waterloo, I would thumb through records and the sound wasn't there. In fact, when coming through LPs, it's kind of a pump, pump, pump. There's a certain reassurance in those sounds, the kind of tactile experience, the aural experience of listening to what the staff are playing, the fun of discovering something new, encountering some nostalgia along the way, seeing a record that I already owned, and thinking about it, and then following wherever that trajectory would go. And these are small things, yet the opportunity to do that and move the emotional ballast on my deck in a way where I could find a little bit of center again, find a little bit of joy again. And one of the bittersweetnesses of the pandemic, and there have been a lot, I've been able to re-engage with some records that I have, and I've continued to support Waterloo Records. In fact, when I've chosen to buy a new album, I've actually called them and they've mailed it to me. I want if Waterloo Records closes as a result of the pandemic. I just, I'm not sure I'll make it. I want to do my part. Beyond that, I, I just found this great record store right down the street from the house in West Roxbury here in Boston. It's all the things I love about a record store. It's got like that record store smell. There's a slightly odd guy who operates it. It's a little like going in his basement. There's floor to ceiling, albums everywhere, random pieces of stereo equipment. I'm positive he doesn't have a handle on a tenth of what he actually has in that building. And again, the thrill of the hunt, the one-off conversations, the discovery of something new, all of that. And was so excited to start kind of making this my new record home. For all the reasons that I love it, it's exactly the place I can't be during COVID-19. <laughs> it would be like putting myself <laughs> in a closet with this dude and whatever other random characters were in there. That's a felt loss. I know how, how meager that sounds. And I underestimate its value and importance for me even now for counting it to you. But I believe that there has to be room for those kinds of holy distractions, little joys that help us move around that emotional balance so that we can renew ourselves enough to confront the continuing horror of every day. I'm not ready to give that up. There are 
little things that we are missing right now, the small sacrifices that we have to make in order to stay safe and healthy, and yet those sacrifices are often the things that mean we miss out on the fun. This sort of loss of emotional fat, if you will, in the day, I think my family is experiencing that with school. My husband is a school teacher and I have two sons in school and they've all gone back to school since the middle of August. My older son is currently doing his school from home online and the other two are in person with lots of safety precautions. And what I've noticed is that a lot of that emotional fat you described is missing from their experience of school. Kids don't hang out in the locker bay between classes. They have to eat in small prescribed groups of other children rather than sitting with the people that they would normally choose to eat with. Instead of visiting with students and colleagues between classes, my husband spends every extra moment of the day cleaning. And I think the school is doing a good job keeping them safe and offering them all a quality education. And those are, of course, the goals. But without those little social exchanges, a lot of the joy is just missing. And they come home exhausted and they don't have much to look forward to for the next day. So it is really hard. And that has meant that we've had to look for fun. Sometimes we even have to intentionally motivate ourselves to find something fun about the day. There's something artificial about that. And yet it's also like the only way to preserve our sanity. So the idea for us having, you and I, Morgan, for having this conversation today actually came from the fact that we have both lately been watching Cobra Kai on Netflix. Cobra Kai is a lot of fun. I appreciate that there's a bit of rationalization to find holiness and engagement with something like Cobra Kai. <laughs> that image that you use of fat in our day, I remember a professor in responding to a piece I'd written saying that there was no fat and that it needed fat. It needed something to make the rest of it tender. It needed something to make the rest of it tasty. He didn't argue the points that I'd made. He didn't argue the rhetorical strategy. But he suggested that it just needed some tenderizing. Life feels like that. If anything, our finding these moments of fun makes possible our deeper engagement with what's hard. So Cobra Kai, it's not all, it doesn't have to be kind of all fun. I have long been a proponent of bringing our faith into conversation with the culture around us. And occasionally that gets me in trouble. It has over the years. People will receive that as me not being serious enough, or they'll question the strength, the shoulders, whether they're broad enough of a particular, whether it's a sermon illustration or some artifact of the culture that I've brought into conversation with our faith. Can you really do that? Can you really preach on Cobra Kai? You know, does it have enough? <laughs> I've considered it already. Well, I did, Mary. I did. I did. <laughs> I did it. I did it. You know, what I like about Cobra Kai, it's a nice kind of compare and contrast, I think, to Stranger Things, which is another Netflix series. The Stranger Things offers a kind of unquestioning love song, synthesizer-laden, heavy metal guitar, spandex pants, neon stage love song to the 1980s. In season three, a lot of the action happens within a mall. And the care which the set designers and creative people on that show assembled this mall. I mean, it's like they plucked it out of my brain, my memory mm -hmm. bank. 
South Park mm-hmm. Mall in Shreveport. <laughs> and there it is, man. The food court. They've got the, I think they have Sam Goody, the Chess mm-hmm. King, the Gap, the whole kitten caboodle. It just feels like a mall in 1985 or 86 or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. uh, but it's such high gloss. The presentation of that 80s nostalgia doesn't invite the viewer to really question what those years were like. And for us who actually lived through the 80s, There was enormous political upheaval, the national standpoint. And for me, David Duke ran for governor of Louisiana by the end of that decade, the grand wizard of the KKK. The political strife was local as well. The kind of categorizing and classifying that Stranger Things presents in a loving way. So the nerds are the heroes, which, okay, I can kind of get behind that. But it doesn't question the fact of the categories. That is to say, there are still the nerds and the cool kids and the ones who are in and the ones who are out. It doesn't do a lot to encourage that. What I like about Cobra Kai, and where I think it can be both fun and kind of enriching, it's got enough of that nostalgia that it brings me in. But it also challenges those 80s tropes. That's what I like about Cobra Kai is that it brings enough of that nostalgia and adds the fat to the program to make more appealing the more demanding questions that it does ask about those 1980s tropes, clicks, and their really terrible social consequence. You'll know that there's this 35-year arc that's been spanned between the end of the original Karate Kid movies and Cobra Cow, the series released originally on a pay version of YouTube a couple of years ago. It's so clever. And I have mm-hmm. to think at some level, this is Ralph Macchio's response to having been called Danny LaRusso or what <laughs> he did for the last 35 years of his right. life. I can imagine this sense of, you know, well, you know, everybody thinks I've been Danny LaRusso for the last 35 years anyway. <laughs> so I might as well write a story of what that would have been like. You know, I've actually mm-hmm. been Ralph Macchio since 1984. But not to the rest of the universe. So <laughs> the, the show takes these two characters that are so fixed in our cultural catalog. You know, that Daniel LaRusso is the hero, the underdog hero. And Johnny Lawrence is the bully. You show that clip of Johnny Sweep the Leg, and I have like a visceral reaction. I mean, I see this guy in that sandy blonde hair, that kind of wispy haircut he had. I can just feel my insides start to grind. I mean, this guy makes me crazy. And so the series fast forward 35 years and turns all that on its head and retells the story of the karate kid from the perspective of Johnny. It asks the question, was Johnny only a bully? You know, really challenges that kind of flat character understanding. Was Uh Daniel LaRusso really the hero? Was Mr. Miyagi the great guy that we thought he was? And the answer is sometimes they're, yeah. He did behave in really bullying ways. And Mr. Miyagi did really swell things for Daniel LaRusso. But now that Daniel LaRusso is a car dealership magnate and can't let go of the old grudges. And Johnny Lawrence is an alcoholic who's hanging on to life by a fingernail who's estranged from his only son and cannot get out of his own way long enough to figure out how to love himself so that he can more effectively love others. There's a more complicated story there. I think the crack of fun in that darker landscape, that bit of fat, allows us to ask consequential questions and engage the suffering that the story tells 
as well. And so it's like Cobra Kai kind of encapsulates this idea of how to have fun in the pandemic. These moments of really satisfying remembering and fun, the music on occasion, the flashbacks. There's one scene with Johnny Lawrence and Daniel LaRusso at a bar, and they realize that they both shared this common experience of not having a real positive good in their life for different reasons. Daniel LaRusso turns to Johnny Lawrence and says, you know, it's crazy. The two of us both find in karate role models as children. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. But there's some real stuff. And I think the fun, in a way, equips us, empowers us, sustains us to go with the more difficult stuff. that it's so strange to knowingly be just the right age to be the targets of this particular nostalgia. And for my husband and I, it's been like equal parts groaning and grinning because it is ridiculous on a certain level. But I have loved the feeling of rooting for Johnny, the bully. I mean, of course we hated him when we were kids because he was the bad guy. But now I just really want him to get things right. And so it's kind of fun to rewrite the story a little bit, to learn something new from it. And there are some new things to learn from it. There's a great themes about mercy and the two different dojos. My family and I embark every summer on these Hollywood franchise movie bonds in our houses uh, where we've lived over the years, sitting on the sofa, eating popcorn, watching the Karate Kid movies, watching the Star Wars movies, watching these big blockbuster franchises. And we've watched the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies when the kids were younger. That particular iteration of Spider-Man felt right for late adolescent kids. The takeaway lesson for me and what was so new when those movies came out, they began this kind of challenge that I think Cobra Kai continues. The takeaway was, you know, the good guys aren't all good and the bad guys aren't all bad. And that was the reiteration that I would make at the end of every one of those movies with my kids. Just remember that the good guys aren't all good and the bad guys aren't all bad. Everybody's got a story. And in a way, the focus on story is an appeal to balance which would be the Miyagi Dojo, rather than Cobra Kai, which tends to focus on results. It's about winning, whereas the Miyagi Dojo, it's about balancing. And so whereas the Cobra Kai focuses on what happens in the competition, the Miyagi Dojo focuses on how we prepare the process. And I think our engagement with the culture, our engagement in fun during the pandemic, can be redemptive of the world's suffering. But it depends upon how we approach it. You know, if we distract ourselves to excess, we are framing the rest of our day in order to get to the distraction. That probably merits some interrogation. But if we are, again, moving that emotional balance, the click, 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 or the thump, 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 picking through CDs or LPs, I think there's something healthy about that. I recognize I don't want to give it up. And so there's likely some rationalization baked in. Well, as in all things, I think we have to find the balance. We don't want to be perpetually distracted and withdrawn from what is going on in the world around us. But I think we do need to be in touch with the joyful, with the fun, the stuff that adds light and life to who we are. The fourth chapter of Philippians says something about this, I think. It says, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Think about these things. I love that. That made an invitation on, on process, on the being rather than the doing. The, the Miyagi Dojo rather than Cobra Kai, which the title of the series is Cobra Kai. It's also the name of the competing dojo. It's mantra, strike first, strike hard. Thinking about these things to me is an invitation for us to not allow the culture to stand in judgment of our faith, which I think is the fear and the pushback I've received in my life about using illustrations that don't seem serious enough, but to bring our faith into conversation with the culture. And to me, there is no more serious conversation than the one that makes our faith of consequence in the lives that we lead. And a big part of that life is how we engage the culture around us. And I think to cut ourselves off from it is a mistake. Here, the invitation in Philippians is, is to carry that faith into whatever we do. You know, think on these things. Yeah, there are probably some decisions I make about what I watch and don't watch that are different than what I made in the 1980s. I don't really have the appetite for Rambo anymore. I do think that there is a kind of you are what you eat idea that's probably worth considering when it comes to what we take in and the, the culture and the media around us. And I do find, for me, I struggle with violence. That is to say, I struggle with violence in films. It just affects me in ways that it didn't used to affect me. I see it's kind of um, with consequences now in ways that weren't as clear to me when I was 13 and cheering on Sylvester Stallone. But nonetheless, our engagement of the culture is an important part. And the fun, rejoicing, can be in that and unapologetically so. The fact that we had fun doesn't compromise the integrity of our faith and the integrity of our engagement with the culture. So actually, Morgan, I think this is something that you're really good at. Maybe on occasion you get in trouble for it with your sermons. People accuse you of being less than fully serious, but I think those people might be missing what you're actually doing because what I see you so frequently do is you're just engaging with the culture around us and finding the moments of delight that are in music and in TV. And these are all sort of art forms that maybe sometimes they don't have much to offer us of substance, but sometimes they do. I personally really enjoy art, especially Renaissance Christian art, and I've enjoyed learning about that. And one of the things I've learned about is that artists had a couple of ways that they would add some focus to their paintings. One of those is perspective, which the early Renaissance, they kind of figured out how to identify a vanishing point on their canvas and to make everything relate to that point, which added depth to a two-dimensional flat object. And without perspective, everything looks like it's right up on you. But with perspective, you can see how things relate, that some things are bigger and more important, and some things are decorative. <laughs> 
the same goes for maybe portraits. Portraits would be flat again if they did not have some small things of interest around it. Sometimes that's foliage in the background or maybe a portrait will be done in a bedroom or in front of a bookshelf. But when artists add little details like that, it makes the subject more compelling. And I think that Paul in Philippians is kind of encouraging us to be intentional about finding joy. We might even say finding fun in the midst of difficult circumstances. It adds uh, perspective and depth and meaning to everything that's around us. To me, that suggests that it's not only permissible, but actually really important right now to take a break from the challenges we're facing and find some things to delight in. Before going to seminary, I served as lay chaplain of an Episcopal school and started that gig. We had classes that I taught every day, and occasionally the class and I would have to go engage in some mandatory fun. And inevitably, there would be some kid in the class who would say, But we, Mr. Allen, we, we don't really want to have fun. Can't we just do whatever it is that this kid wanted to do? And I'd say, No, no, this is mandatory fun. But if it's mandatory, it's not fun anymore. <laughs> It's a decent point, but I think that's what I hear you describing of Paul's encouragement. There's some mandatory fun out there that we need to go find. The world remains beautiful as God made it and intended it and hopes that it will become again. And we have to touch that beauty in order to be reminded of the fact of it and to find our inspiration to keep going through the murk and horror of what we're encountering right now from coast to coast, wildfires to hurricanes, political disaster, and just the terrible, inequitable treatment of one child of God. We have to stay in touch with that beauty if we're to have the strength to confront the difficulties that are all around us. You probably would not have liked teaching me, Morgan, because I was that junior high kid that did not want to have fun because it seemed like I might be asked to do something that might be embarrassing or I was just too shy. You might get a B plus in fun. Right. (laughs) But then I would have to work on that because B plus is not acceptable. I know. So I would try to have more fun. But I do think that there's some intention that comes with having fun. We've got to be willing to engage. As Paul said, we have to be willing to think on these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. These are the things we have to be willing to look at and see. Morgan, you spoke earlier about some of the fun things that you've been missing over these last months. I know you can't exactly replace how it feels to go thumbing through old records at a record store. So what are you doing instead to bring some fun into your life right now? Helpful for me to consider is just a test of whether or not I accept my own counsel. You know, we've talked about watching those Netflix series and I do some of that and there's a certain resolution to the day enjoyment with that where I can let my brain rest a little, let the story do the heavy lifting. But beyond Netflix, I continue to listen to a lot of music. I have attempted to control myself in my purchases and not justify that all the money I'm saving on my commute should not necessarily be redirected 
into new music purchases. However, <laughs> I have taken advantage of that rationalization on occasion, and I got this great eBay coupon, Mary. And so I bought a David Bowie box set that stretches from 1977 to 1982. And the last week, my fun has been centered around David Bowie, who is totally, totally amazing. I do like box sets, particularly when they come with entire albums. My children will both report to you that I don't like greatest hits albums. Artists created an album with like an intention and a flow and an arc, and they're not to be taken and then cut up and put into these other settings. So I've been enjoying my David Bowie, this period of his work with Brian Eno, these really deep, weird soundscapes. Most of the albums are half with vocal tracks and half instrumentals, which is a very strange pop configuration. He really invented in those years, along with Peter Gabriel and Genesis, really invented the pop avant-garde. And they made room for weirdness in music. And I find that my appreciation for it has increased over the years, over time. David Bowie has been my fun of late, Mary. If I could commend a single album, I think I would commend Low, uh, David Bowie's Low, 1978. This has been a hard period for me, too. I've especially missed Sunday mornings, which, you know, for us, Sunday mornings are kind of work, but they're also like, God made me for Sunday mornings. <laughs> I love preaching and leading worship and talking to all my people and seeing how everybody's doing and teaching classes. I just love Sunday mornings. And that fun for me has just been totally missing since we haven't been worshiping. And so back at the end of May, I had this idea to do this podcast. And I would have never even thought about doing a podcast, but it seemed like a way that I could potentially serve my community, have a little bit more connection with folks. So I started doing them. And to my surprise, that's been an unexpected source of fun. So much so that recently, because of some staffing changes, I'm having to take on some additional responsibilities. I was realizing, you know, I may have to give some things up in order to take on some of these things that I need to be doing. And I was talking to my spiritual director and I said, I think I'm going to have to give up my podcast. And she said, no, don't you dare, because that's the one thing that you're really enjoying right now. And she was right. I think that these podcasts have been a lot of fun for me. I don't know who's listening, but I know that I'm having fun and that's kind of enough, enough reason to keep doing them because here I get to have a conversation with people that I love and talk about something meaningful and learn something new. And that's a lot of fun for me. I think your spiritual director made the case for us. There's a place for fun in the pandemic. There has to be. We've been playful about vocabulary, and some might criticize and say that fun is too cheap a word, not a serious enough term, like Cobra Kai. I think fun is maybe just exactly the right word, and church ought to be fun. If church isn't fun, I'm not interested. So I don't know about you, Morgan, but I've certainly had some fun today. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Thank you for the invitation, Mary. I've had fun, too. I think our joy is complete for today. For all of you listening, thanks to you for participating in this fun. If you have a question, comment, or idea that you'd like to share, please send me an email at mvano at stmargaretschurch.org. I hope you'll have some fun in your life this week and that next week you'll again listen because our JOY is not complete without you.
This is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Thank you.